Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. And Father, we thank you most of all, Lord, for making this possible. We thank you for your wonderful parables, Lord, that you give to us in these days. It uh, is a replication of the beginning of Jesus' ministry, really. He uh, began to give uh, parables that the wicked couldn't see through, but the righteous could. So, We thank you, Lord, for doing that in these days and and in the coming days, too. Amen. All right. We're going to call this uh, Overcoming to Be in the Bride, and it'll be number one. And the first revelation I want to share with you comes from Winnie Asagueta, excuse me, uh, Overcoming the Flesh to Be in the Bride. So, this she got this on 3.27.22. I dreamt that I was in my uncle's house, whose name is Christian. Well, we know Christian means a follower of Christ, um, and his house represents the house of discipleship, right? Not just any old house out there that claims Christianity. Um he is a doctor in real life. Um, Christian represents the Lord who is our healer and the fact that what we speak brings health to people. Amen. I was sitting in a room building some plastic toy sets and then putting them on display in different areas of the room, which seemed to be a hobby for me in this dream. And she comments, this represents being distracted with the vanities of this world. Well, as we uh, will see, this represents spiritual immaturity. Uh, Play acting is a large part of what goes on in apostate Christianity. They're playing like the church, but they're not coming out from among them, so therefore they are not the church, just like it was in Jesus' day. There were different types of toys, including toy dinosaurs. Well, many don't know that they are playing with the dragon. If you're uh, in a dragon church, you're playing with the dragon. Yeah. Nothing there will set you free. Um, Satan doesn't cast out Satan. Well, my Uncle Chris entered the room, and I instantly felt ashamed about the toys and told him that I was not playing with them, but just putting them together to put them on display, although I knew it was a bad excuse (laughs) and that this was not something I should be doing. There's a lot of things Christians shouldn't be doing. Uh, If you consider the parable of the sower, you see that three out of four uh, fall away because they're not doing what they should be doing concentrating on eternal things. 
and a concern in this, we, we can't make excuse for our poor choices. We just have to repent and turn away from them. I also felt ashamed because I also was aware that I was overweight. Uh, I believe this was representing, she said, representing too much flesh. Yes, and I believe that's true. Uh, this uh, room I was in seemed to be a room for the immature, as I could hear two people arguing in the background, and although I do not recall who they were. So, the moral of the story is we must leave our immaturity behind to grow up in Christ. 1 Corinthians 13 and 11. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I felt as a child, I thought as a child. Now that I am become a man, I have put away childish things. So all those little distractions out there are childish things. Think about the attention that Jesus and his disciples put on eternal things, and that's what a disciple is. I then heard some dogs barking outside uh, at, of the front door. And one of the dogs was a white pit bull with brown spots. Hmm. And also a black dog as well. I began to pet the black dog. That's kind of goes along with what we've heard so far. As he seemed to be pretty uh, docile. But then uh, my uncle Chris's wife named Olivia meaning olive tree, <laughs> said to me, the dog wants just wants to come in. Well, that's right. The dogs always want to come in. Don't let them in your house. Don't, don't watch TV for one thing and a lot of other garbage on the Internet for another. Don't let them in in the music. Don't let them in any way at all. You can't afford to waste your time at this time. She had seen this dog before and was aware of his intentions. And so she was warning me, yes, of course. And if we indulge and encourage our flesh represented by the black dog, it will grow stronger and we'll have a foothold in our lives and take over our house. Um, then I saw a white cat with black spots in a, in a bush. I believe that she said also they're representing rebellion and self-will, the cat, right? And especially one with black spots. Spots and blemishes. I went over to it because it seemed to be uh, crying out, so I, I felt sorry for it and thought I should feed it. We can't feel sorry, she says, for our flesh or feed it. Amen. Then Anna, meaning grace, came up to me and told me not to feed the cat, but to throw it in the water. <laughs> Drown it in the water. A large body of water then appeared next to the bush on the right. Bush could represent, you know, the authority of God. That's how he appeared to uh, Moses, right? The water was moving like uh, an ocean the way it does at a beach, and I threw it in the water. So we must get rid of, she says, uh, self-will and any other sin by drowning the flesh nature with the water of the word. Amen. That's what baptism is all about. You reckon the old man dead unto sin and you walk the other way, right? The scene changed and I was back in the house. And when we get rid of self-will uh, and rebellion, then we're able to come back into the house of discipleship, right? 
There was something important being shown on the TV, and a sister was intently watching. I stood there and watched with her, although I do not remember every scene that was playing, what we saw was the Word of God coming to pass. And we could also see the the judgment that was happening around the world. Yes, yes, it's happening now, and it's going to get worse. I remember towards the end seeing smoke and fire, as well as a large mountain on fire. That's probably the kingdoms of men, right? When the man-child returns, he will bring judgment to the kingdoms or mountains of the world. Second Peter 3, 5-7 says this, For this they willfully forget, that there were heavens from of old, and an earth compacted out of water and amidst water by the word of God, which means the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens that now are and the earth by the same word have been stored up for fire, being reserved against the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men, whether they go to church or not. This movie touched the sister deeply, and she put her arm around me and gave me a kiss on the cheek. She began to weep and apologize for any unforgiveness that she had towards me. I was also emotional, and I told her that I forgave her, too. This sister had a very humble spirit, and I saw a supernatural change the Lord had done in her right before my eyes, as I was amazed. Yes, she was watching all of the judgment coming upon the earth. It put the fear of the Lord in her, right? She was beautiful. I then felt my Uncle Chris lovingly put his hand behind us as we embraced like he was praying for us. And, um, of course, and she notes here, Jesus brings reconciliation to his disciples in his body. Amen. And that will happen when there's judgments at the door. The sister then laid down on a bed, representing entering into the rest, she says. Amen. Repentance and forgiveness, I would say, uh, allows us to have rest from the tormentors. Because of unforgiveness, it says in Matthew eighteen thirty-four and 35, And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors until he should pay all that was due. So shall also my heavenly Father do unto you, if you forgive not every one his brother from your hearts. I was talking to a Baptist pastor the other day, and I told him this verse. He had a, a bitterness against a neighbor. And I told him this verse, and I found out the next day he listened. <laughs> wow. Suddenly I looked uh, down at my hand, and my wedding ring appeared back on my finger. Okay, repentance can do that. You may be losing your position in the bride, but repentance can bring it back. And in real life, um, uh, a while back, she said, I lost my wedding ring, and I was very sad about it. It was supernatural how the ring just appeared back on my finger. I walked over to the sister and said, Is this real? And she touched my ring and said, yes, it's real. 
Well, and she has here as a, a note, repentance for giving others and humbling ourselves allows us to be a part of the bride. I was overjoyed, and this felt so real, I thought I had my ring again when I woke up. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, it is real. It is true. I asked uh, Chuck to get me a verse by faith at random, and he received Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool, but whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. Hmm. I received by faith at random Ephesians six fourteen through eighteen. Stand therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, withal taking up the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. And there are many of them, and you're going to be tested by them, right? And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, with all prayer and supplication, praying at all seasons in the Spirit, and watching thereunto in all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. That should keep you busy. <laughs> anyway, and uh, uh, this is, we call this Rock Man. Help us to overcome our flesh. And this is Ben. Now, I may murder this name here, but I'm just not good at it, okay? Ben Slow Slavisky. No, no, Slajewski. Slajewski. I think that's what it is. 11 Before I went to sleep that night, I repented to the Lord to take me away from worldly desires and to give me encouragement to get me through trials and temptations because some old spirits were trying to get another rise out of me. And when I fell asleep, I was uh, looking in the perspective of a third-person overview, but I knew that the main characters throughout this dream represented me in some way. There was a big city, and we I believe this represents Babylon, and I knew that a disaster was going to come at any moment, and there was a precious ring that I had in my possession. Hmm, sounds kind of similar, doesn't it? So God is bringing judgment upon Babylon and its inhabitants that can't escape the lusts of their flesh. The ring represents our discipleship and marriage to the Lord, which gives us power. Amen. In the far outskirts of the city, I knew that there was a creature that wanted this ring. This creature looked identical to a character named Gollum from Lord of the Rings. This creature represents, I believe, our flesh nature that wants to usurp the power of the Lord uh, that the Lord has given to us and, uh, and use our lives for its own lustful and evil purposes. That's the way the devils and the demons are, right? So, uh, in the Lord of the Rings, he says, it is stated that Gollum was originally a hobbit named Schmeagel, who 
became corrupted by a ring of power. Mm-hmm. Gollum represented, or excuse me, Gollum referred to the ring as my precious or precious, and it extended his life far beyond natural limits. But ownership of the ring came with curses on the individual in possession of it. Yes. Uh, authority and power is not good for wicked people. It is good for spiritual people. And when you give yourself over to the flesh, like Gollum, well, it's going to bring corruption and trouble. Uh, centuries of the ring's influence, he said, twisted Gollum's body and mind, and he loved and hated the ring as much as he loved and hated himself. Well, in the wrong hands, power can be abused and be very destructive. Our flesh has many lusts that eventually destroy us if they are not repented of. And if we give power to the flesh, we know what's going to happen. If you listen to the flesh, obey the flesh, you give power to the flesh, just like the black dog, right? And throughout the story, Gollum was torn between his lust for the ring and his desire to be free of it. Uh Uh-huh. Galatians 5 and 17. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are contrary the one to the other, that you may not do the things that you would. If you do the things that you would, you will give strength and power to the Gollums out there. Right? So... In the story, he said, Bilbo Baggins found the ring and took it for his own, and Gollum afterwards pursued it for the rest of his life. Gollum finally seized the ring from Frodo Baggins at the uh, Cracks of Doom in uh, Mount Doom in Mordor. Sounds like a bad place, doesn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. Mount Doom was where the ring had originally been forged and was the only place that it could be destroyed. So when Gollum seized the ring, he felt he fell into the fires of the volcano where both he and the ring were destroyed. Hmm. 1 Corinthians 5, 3-7, I'm reminded of, I, I verily, being absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have already, as though I were present, judged him that hath so wrought this thing. In the name of the Lord Jesus, ye being gathered together in my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus." Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, even as you are unleavened. Yep. Don't give any power to the flesh, right? Uh, Okay, back to Ben here. Gollum was excited to get the ring and knew exactly where it was. All he was waiting for was the right timing. The whole premise of this game uh, I I was caught up in was to keep the ring away from Gollum. It seemed easy enough, 
but I was in the form of a dog and wasn't able to fight. Well, we don't want to give any power to the flesh man by uh, the things that excite him, the things that feed him, and so on and so forth. We don't have time for that. We must bear fruit. Amen. The dogs uh, return to their vomit, he says. In other words, keep returning to their sins that they once rejected and repented of. Yes, amen. And I might add Second Peter 2, 20-22. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the last state is become worse with them than the first. For it were better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered unto them. It has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog turning to his own vomit again, and the sow that had washed to wallowing in the mire. Amen. One thing we are to do as disciples when we come to the Lord, continue in eternal things that bring forth fruit in our life so that we can pass this on to others. That's it. Uh, You can see that Jesus and his disciples didn't get distracted with the goofy things that the worldly Christians do. They had one thing in mind, the kingdom of God. So, Ben said, I went running down the highway to get out of the city. Good idea. We must get out uh, on the highway of holiness to escape our flesh in Babylon. Isaiah 35 and 8. And a highway shall be there, and a way. They called it the way in the book of Acts, you know. Jesus said, I am the way. Okay, so you walk in his footsteps, right? And a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for the redeemed, the wayfaring men. Yea, fools shall not err therein. Yes, wayfaring, which is a traveler on a a well-traveled road, uh, and fools, they will not be on the highway of holiness. Okay, because they're like that dog, they're like that pig, going back to their foolishness. Gollum was gaining fast on me in my dog's form. (laughs) Yes, he will. And was going to catch me in no time. Yep. Uh, and when we return to our sins, our flesh gets stronger and stronger, and we are in danger of being consumed by them once again. Right? He went on to say, In an instant I was picked up in a helicopter and flew so fast, which helped me to put distance between Gollum and me. That's the grace of the Lord there. And this represents the grace of the Holy Spirit who helps us to escape our flesh nature and abide with Christ in heavenly places. Hallelujah. I also noticed the highway was getting narrower and narrower the further I went down it. Yes, that's that's to constrict us into the walk of Christ, to walk in His steps, right? Matthew 7 and 14, For narrow is the gate, and straightened the way that leadeth unto life, 
and few are they that find it. Do you hear that? Few are they that find it. All of a sudden, a flat stone wall was in front of me, and the helicopter crashed into it. (laughs) This allowed Gollum to gain some ground and catch up to me. Well, we know the enemy likes to put up roadblocks and barriers uh, to cause us to stumble, right? And to bring us back down to the earthly things and separate us from Christ. Gollum was very close, but I, I seemed to have turned into some sort of scarecrow form. And I was able to have a much easier time evading Gollum in this form. Hmm. Scarecrows help to scare away the beasts and the unclean birds who want to steal our seed that's that's sown in our life, right? Um, the seed that Jesus put in our hearts to eat up our spiritual fruit of Christ in us, right? So, you know, when Jesus puts it in our hearts, um, Satan is ready to try to steal it. And um, Matthew thirteen three and 4, and I think I'll read 19 too. It says, Behold, the sower went forth to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and birds came and devoured them. And when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the evil one, and snatcheth away that which hath been sown in his heart." seen many people go that way. The parable of the sower is is an example of that. Three out of four uh, got it snatched away from them, the importance of discipleship, and they were distracted with worldly, goofy things and uh, that had no value in, in eternity. We were no longer on a highway, but in a place that had a stone maze and I was still evading Gollum quite easily. He got close a couple of times, but I was able to evade or break free from capture. Hmm. Well, I think this represents the confusion, doubt, and unbelief that the enemy traps us in our minds, and we must overcome the mind of the flesh by casting it down. Second Corinthians 10 and 5 says, Casting down imaginations, and every high thing that's exalted against the knowledge of God, and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Amen. Ben went on, all of a sudden, a great tornado lifted all the walls and the roof in this maze, and there was nowhere else to evade. I changed forms again to a real man in white clothing. We were floating in the sky in the tornado on the old stone maze floor. Well, the tornado is the power of God and His Word, which is Christ, our foundation, that clears out the confusion and lifts us up into the heavenlies to fight in the righteousness of Christ. There was nowhere to run from Gollum at this point, and I had to fight him. Well, we can't keep running from ourselves and our old nature if we want to escape the curse. I wasn't scared, 
I was sort of itching for the fight at this point and confident. That's because those heavenly places and the man dressed in white, right? I knew I could fight in this new form that I was given. The form of this real man dressed in white represents the exchange that the Lord made for us on the cross by His power. And this is, of course, to defeat our sin nature. Amen. Uh, it was a very close fight, and we both we were both fighting with various abilities or powers. It seemed like the longer we were fighting, the more angry Gollum got. He didn't want this to be a long fight. This made him become bigger. This didn't scare me because I was prepared for a long fight and I knew in the end I was going to win. Yeah, well, the flesh will try to fool us that it's too big for us to conquer, but when we remain in heavenly places in Christ and in His Word, we are assured to win the battle against our old flesh nature because we have the precious promises of God. You remember how David conquered the giant, and then his men, his mighty men, conquered giants also. That giant represents the flesh. There are some people who are big in the world, but they're not big in the kingdom, and God knows this. And the flesh is that way, too. We kept fighting and damaging each other, and he kept getting bigger and more resilient to my attacks, when out of nowhere a huge rock man came to my side to fight Gollum. Uh, well, rock man is Jesus, who is our rock. First Corinthians 10 and 4, They drank of the spiritual rock that followed them. The rock was Christ. Amen. Rock man had a spear and had amazing abilities that I couldn't do yet. But I wanted to learn. Yes, he, he takes our hand and he shows us how to fight, right? Luke 10 and 19. Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall in any wise hurt you. That's a pretty powerful rock right there. I didn't even need to help Rock Man because he was much stronger than Gollum. Well, we know that uh, Christ in us is much stronger than our flesh and our enemies when we rest in the promises of His Word and His power, right? And being said, I, I left the fight to take refuge in the small shelter that was left from the tornado and, be, and regain some strength back. Well, Psalm 91 1 through 9 says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For He will deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. Remember that. He will cover thee with His pinions, and under His wings shalt thou take refuge. His truth is a shield and a buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, 
nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand. Remember that. But it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold, and see the reward of the wicked. For thou, O Lord, art my refuge. Yes, they're going to come with a worse plague, and God's going to use it. See the reward of the wicked. I noticed at this point the ring was on my left ring finger and really noticed why Gollum wanted it so badly. It was really beautiful with all the different colors and glimmering light that came from it. So the overcomers are the bride of Christ. In Revelation 3 and 21 it says, He that overcometh, I will give to him to sit down with me in my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. And uh, Hosea 2, 19 and 20 says, And I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in justice and in loving kindness and in mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness. And thou shalt know the Lord. Amen. And he went on to say, Rock man came into the shelter, and he was not even winded from the fight. Uh, Revelation 21 and 6 says, Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Mm-hmm. Ben said, We didn't speak. We both knew that he was there to protect me, but uh, I was to give the killing blow. Okay. So Jesus is our protector, power, strength, but uh, is our responsibility to kill our old flesh nature once and for all. So because we know at, uh, at our baptism the old man died, and we can reckon ourselves to be dead unto sin but alive unto God. So we have to wield the promises against the enemy. Second Corinthians 7 and 1 says, Having therefore these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Amen. Gollum saw my ring from the outside of the shelter and was totally infatuated by it. Oddly enough, he didn't come into the shelter because he wasn't allowed. He was more interested in looking at the ring on my finger than fighting at this point. He became docile, and I knew I was able to somewhat control him at this point. The dream uh, ended with uh, Mr. Rock and I on one side of a barricade and Gollum on the other. Yeah. Well, the sacrifice of Jesus separates us from our sinful nature and helps us to conquer it. And um, we uh, control it, which is the way we were designed, the spirit man controlling the carnal man, right? And this was given to Gabe Watson. Keep your eye on the goal. Amen. Gabe got this on 11-18-22. Yes. 
I dreamed there were these guys playing a basketball game. This represents, I believe, the game of life, right? We have to score a goal, right? It seemed like they were playing three-on-three, uh, representing the saints of God who are playing on the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit team. <laughs> yeah, it was game point, and I came in to play. All right. Could be representing the final point in the game that determines the winner. Mm-hmm. My teammate had the basketball at the top of the three-point line and was trying to throw it to uh, me on the perimeter. But my defender, uh, probably representing our opponent or our adversary, the devil, uh, was facing me and I could not get the ball. So um, Satan is, is the accuser of the brethren. He's always facing off with us, trying to cause us to lose the, the game any way he can. He's a big bluff. You don't really have any power he was bound, the strong man was bound by Jesus, and we were commanded to plunder him, right? Then I went deeper into the paint, which is close to the basket, and posted up my man, sealing him with my back and arms. Uh, my defender was behind me, and I felt like a professional basketball player, like Shaquille O'Neal, he says, <laughs> posting this guy up. My teammate threw me the ball, and I posted my defender up. Well, well, we have to block Satan from interfering with us and our teammates scoring uh, in order to win the game, right? I then went to score the basketball with so much strength and power. Well, when we effectively defend ourselves and our brethren against the attacks of the enemy opponent, we have strength and power from God to win. As I went up to score the basketball, I felt no agitation from my defender. It was almost as if he was not there. <laughs> well, that reminds me of James 4, 7. Be subject therefore unto God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I went up into the air representing abiding in heavenly places in Christ, and went above the rim and scored the game-winning point unimpeded by my defender. And he won the game. And Excuse me. We, we won the game. Uh, and that was the end. But what we can see is, obviously, that Satan is no match for us when we team up with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and we agree with his word and believe on his promises, we will always score the winning point. And here's another one given to Gabe. We called it, Man-child steals his bride from the God of this world. Amen. And Gabe got this on 11-18-22. Wow, getting kind of close here. I dreamed that my wife was getting married to another guy. But in the dream, she wasn't my wife yet. Well, Gabe's wife uh, represents the corporate bride body who starts out being betrothed to Satan, uh, the god of this world, 
through uh, the bondage of the sin nature and generational curses. But God foreordained them to be the first fruits unto the man-child reformer ministries. Amen. Gabe said, There seemed to be a lot of confusion and a lot of people were moving around and trying to get ready for their wedding. Hmm. Well, there are a lot of apostate Christians who are going to marry the Antichrist God of this world. He is a false Jesus. As we saw earlier, the Lord turns people over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh when they walk after the flesh in the lusts of the flesh. So, he is a false Jesus. There are many false Jesuses out there. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, The God of this world hath blinded the minds of the unbelieving that the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should not dawn upon them. And 1 Corinthians 14 and 33 says, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So I started walking with her on a path, completely unaffected by what was going on around me. She was not interested in marrying me at all and was focused on her other wedding. However, I knew that she liked me, but it just seemed like she wasn't focused on her feelings for me. Well, the the man-child, Jesus, will gently and patiently lead his bride down the narrow path, or the way, right? He uh, works with us in our lives until our focus is turned to him and away from the God of this world. As we were walking on the path, she did not want to walk anymore. This confused me a lot because I knew that she could keep walking on the path, but she just didn't want to. That's how God does things. He changes our want-tos. So many times along along our journey with the Lord, we want to quit and uh, give up, thinking it is too hard to keep going because of pain or discouragement of condemnation. But the Lord knows the end from the beginning, and He knows we will make it. We must not lose faith. Philippians three twelve and through fourteen says, "Not that I have already obtained, that means in the natural, or am already made perfect, but I press on, if so be that I may lay hold on that for which also I was laid hold on by Christ Jesus." And what was that? He wants us to have His life in us, right? His word in us. Brethren, I could not myself yet have, I, excuse me, I could not myself yet have laid hold, but one thing I do. Forgetting the things which are behind and stretching forward to the things which are before, I press on towards the goal unto the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We forget the things that are behind, even the failures, everything, and we just, you know, put our eyes on the goal, right? Uh, so I picked her up into my arms and cradled her like a baby and carried her down the path. (laughs) 
So uh, maybe when we feel we can't go any further, we don't have to rely on our own strength. The Lord will carry us. 2 Corinthians 12 and 9 says, And he has said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my weaknesses than that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So we do. We, uh, we know that we are not strong enough, but we know He is. And we know that we can do nothing without Him, but we know that we can do all things through Him. That's where faith comes in. It surpasses our weaknesses. I knew that I loved her, but I could not get her attention to realize it because she was focused on the other marriage, the things of the world, right? It did not bother me at all that she wasn't loving me or focused on me. I was just focused on my goal, and nothing could hinder my progress with her and uh, my laser focus. Romans 8 35 through 39 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Uh, 37. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We've gotten this recently uh, in our morning prayer meeting by faith at random, twice recently. And so the Lord is emphasizing it again here, I believe. Then we were at our wedding, about to get married. It seemed like she didn't understand what was happening. (laughs) Well, could be because it is a mystery, according to Ephesians 5, 25 through 32. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it, that he might sanctify it, having cleansed it by the washing of the water with the word. That word will put to death the old cat, right? That he might present the church to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, no spots on the cat, or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Even so ought husbands also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his own wife loveth himself, for no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as Christ also the church. Because we are members of his body, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This mystery is great, but I speak in regard of Christ and of the church. Well, he went on to say there was a pastor there marrying us, and I seemed to be the only one that knew what was going on. 
Well, the man-child Jesus always knows what's going on because he knows those who belong to him. John 10 and 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Have you ever just uh, been doing what you felt good about and you found yourself in in an amazing situation and wondered how you got there? (laughs) The Lord, uh, the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord, right? There was one exception, though. There was uh, one other guy who knew what was going on, and he did not like this at all. And I knew that he was my enemy and did not want us to get married. Well, Satan does does all that he can to try to sabotage or hinder the man, child, and bride. And the flesh, too, right? Yes, there was uh, just nothing he could do to stop the wedding, and he knew it. And as I watched him, he was so shocked and bewildered that I was marrying her. He knew that it was totally out of his hands to stop this wedding and that uh, we were getting married right before his eyes. Yes, the devil uh, and the flesh knows that there is nothing that they can do and that uh, this time is short. Revelation 12 and 12 says, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe! for the earth and for the sea, because the devil is gone down to you having great wrath, knowing that he hath a short time. Amen. I didn't know where her proposed husband was. I even could have been this guy, but it did not matter. No one else mattered. My desire was only for her, and I was focused on my wedding, and nothing could hinder that or impede me from my goal. Reminds you of Song of Solomon uh, 7 and 10. I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. The scene changed, and we were listening to her pastor, who was giving a very short message. I thought to myself, He's preaching pretty good. He finished up with a statement to this effect, that people are focusing on the wrong things in themselves, and that we need to be focused on the glory of God in us. Well, this is so true. We manifest the nature of Christ, 30, 60, and 100 fold, by our faith in the promises of His Word. Don't get distracted. This was the one out of four that that made it to the finish line here. One out of four. Don't get distracted by the things of the world. That's what happened to the other three out of four. And as he said this, I felt strength and renewal as I focused on the glory of God in me, and it gave me peace. As I focused on these words inside myself, I had a deeper revelation of what he said. Well, Isaiah 26 and 3 tells us, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. And then I woke up. Well, I would like to reemphasize one of the things that keeps people from ending up 
at the goal with 30, 60, or 100-fold? Is uh, the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, all the distractions that the devil likes to put in front of people? Remember the devil tried to tempt Jesus, you know, I'll give you the world, you know. And But, you know, of course Jesus said he was having no part of it, but I can tell you a lot of people are. They're, they're taking the same temptation and they're failing because they're being distracted with things that have no eternal value. The devil loves to do that to people, uh, distract us with um, pretty trinkets on the side, you know, and uh, things that get our mind involved. But we'll notice something about these kinds of things. One thing you notice is it, um, it turns you cold to the things of God. These, these uh, mind-boggling uh, things, you know, that distract us, and that we want to look at and see the answers to, and so on and so forth. But they just don't have any eternal value whatsoever. There may be a, a little piece of the Bible that's being picked out and people just being distracted over it or whatever, you know. Um, and they they lose sight of the the emphasis that Jesus and the apostles put on life. If we're to become disciples, and if we abide in Him, we will walk as He walked, the Bible says, down His path, then the only emphasis in our life has to be the same emphasis. Eternal things, things that make you walk as Jesus walked, things that make you have the fruit Jesus had. If you lose track of this and get distracted with a lot of the things that just tickle people's mind and ears out there um, and, and usually cause division between you and other Christians, when Jesus said, uh, Father, I pray that they may be one as we are one, Things that cause so many people divide over the goofiest things that Jesus, Jesus never even mentioned or his disciples never even mentioned. Have you noticed? Our emphasis needs to be the emphasis it was in the time of Jesus with his disciples. And uh, we, we can't lose sight of that fact. This is what is important. We are running towards a finish line, and this is the only thing that counts. Many people are giving up their eternal life because they're getting distracted with things that don't cause the spiritual man to grow into the image of Jesus Christ. Remember, no one hath ascended into heaven, but he that descended out of heaven. Jesus, the Word of God, came down out of heaven to recreate him in us so that he, in what is called the body of Christ, the real body of Christ, I'm not talking about people who call themselves Christians, but the real body of Christ can go back to heaven. He is not looking for anybody but Jesus. And so we must remember that. Look at the focus. Read the New Testament. It is your covenant. 
the Old Testament is not your covenant, although many good things are there and many moral things are there. It is not your covenant. You are not under any laws back there. You're not under any prophets back there. You are under the New Testament. It was it was made with you. The new covenant was made with you. So don't get distracted. Um, run after the things that count. Amen. Father, we praise you and we thank you so much, Lord, uh, for these little lessons here, Lord. We just thank you so much for helping us to, um, again, uh, get in the Word of God, seek to replicate Jesus in our lives. And that's what a disciple does. They study the Master to be like Him. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, let it be so. We love you. We praise you, Father. Thank you so much. Amen. All right, and uh, Michael Hare is going to come along with some brethren to study some word, too. Hallelujah. Lord bless you all, saints. Keep us in prayer, and we will you, too. Amen. Good night. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. Good to be back with you again on a great November morning. Let's go to the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, I praise you and I glorify you. And I thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy upon our lives. I thank you, Father, for teaching us how to be prayer warriors, how to be how to pray militantly with the faith that you've given us. And Father, I'll thank you for that. Lord, be with us today as we get this message across. Anoint us to speak the things that you'd have us to speak, Father. That it would be a blessing to everyone out there in the name of Jesus. Well, that's what I want to talk about is faith to pray militantly. You know, the expressions in Christ, in whom, and in him, they occur more than 130 times in the New Testament. And that's the heart of the revelation of redemption given to Paul. Now, here's the secret of faith. Faith that conquers. The faith that moves mountains. This is the secret of the spirits guiding us into all reality. You know, the heart craves intimacy with the Lord Jesus and with the Father. But you know, this craving can now be satisfied. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 says this, in whom we have our redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Folks, it's not a beggarly redemption, but it's a real liberty in Christ that we've got now. It is redemption by the God who would say, let there be lights in the firmament heaven and cause the whole starry heavens to leap into being in a single instance. That is omnipotence beyond human reasoning. And this is where philosophy has never left a footprint. Our redemption is a miracle of God's grace. It's according to the riches of His grace. And it's a present tense work wrought through His blood. It's lavish and it's abundant. 
And that our redemption, folks, is a perfect thing. And when you know it, enter into it, and your heart grows accustomed to it, there's going to be an ability in your life that you have never known. Colossians chapter 1, 13 and 14 said, Who delivered us out of the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have our redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Folks, you're delivered out of the power of Satan. You're free. And it's in him that you have your redemption. You have been delivered out of Satan's dominion. You have been translated into the kingdom of the son of his love. And you're free. You're free from the dominion of Satan. And the hour's going to come when you're going to awaken to the fact that he can't put disease on you. That he can't give you pain and he can't give you anguish in your body. And that hour is going to come when you'll know that want and poverty are things of the past as far as you're concerned. You're going to shout amid the turbulence and you're going to shout and uh, uh, during the fear of other men. And you're going to shout this, the Lord is my shepherd. I do not want. He makes me to lie down in plenty, in fullness. Because I am satisfied with him. Folks, this redemption is real. Satan's defeated. Disease is outlawed. And want is banished. We're free. John chapter 8 verse 36 says, If therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. John 10.10 says, I came that they may have life and have it, and may have it abundantly. Well, what's life? Folks, life is the nature of God. You may have the Father's nature abundantly. You are in Christ, in the Father's presence. You are in the very realm of life. This realm of life has in it the life that transcends reason. We have eternal life. That's God's very substance. In John 14 and 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He was unveiling his heart to us, showing what he can do to us in our daily life. He can be all that his heart of love desires to be to those whom he has redeemed. And he can be reality to us. He can fulfill every desire of our hearts. Galatians 5 and chapter 1 says, Stand fast therefore and be not entangled again in a yoke of bondage. The gravest danger of the believer is the possibility of his lapsing back into bondage after he has been made free. He leaves the realm of the spirit and faith and walks in the realm of the senses. And folks, a sense reason gains that supremacy. He loses his joy in the Lord. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. And we're just now finding out what that can mean to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, Wherefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. And this new creation fact gives 
to you all that it means to Jesus and the Father, whether you know it or not. Paul's revelation is filled with new creation truth. It's God's dream for you to enjoy the fullness of this new creation's privileges. It says the old things are passed away. That's those old things of bondage, fear, doubt, want, sickness, weakness, and failure. They're gone. And some of you have to say, well, that ain't possible. Yes, it is. The new creation is just like the master. He is its head. He is the vine. You are the branch. As he is, so are you. Listen to this in John 15, 1 through 7. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes it away. And every branch that bears fruit, he cleans it that it may bear more fruit. Already ye are clean because of the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. So neither can you except you abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatsoever you will and it shall be be done unto you. And folks, as long as you deal in doubts and fears, and as long as you sit in judgment on yourself, you ain't never going to arrive. You're never going to enjoy these things. But, if you act on the word, you're going to arrive at that point. When you read, all things have become new, start thinking of yourself as living in this brand new realm. You have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. You have perfect fellowship with him right now. There is an abundance of wealth that belongs to you in this new relationship. So be bold and act your part. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says this, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And if you're his workmanship, You are satisfactory to him. He's pleased with you. Folks, we've preached condemnation and sin so long that we don't know how to preach righteousness and to tell the people what they are in Christ. And when somebody does tell them, they feel like it's false teaching. They feel that anything is false teaching that doesn't honor sin and lift it into the place of Christ. You are God's new man. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 15 declares that he brought into being the new man. It says, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances that he might create in himself of the two, one new man. So making peace. And then Ephesians 4.24. And put on the new man that after God hath been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. The new creation knows but one Lord. Jesus is the Lord of the new creation. 
Now, a graphic statement of facts is in Colossians chapter 2 and verses 6 and 7. As therefore you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in your faith, even as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Ooh, glory to God. No longer are you a weak, beggarly man walking about. His strength is your strength. We're so strong that we're abound in thanksgiving. When we stop abounding in thanksgiving, we deteriorate spiritually. And so we want to pray militantly. Pray militantly. There's an old story going around that Mary Queen of Scots used to say that she feared the prayers of the fiery Protestant theologian John Knox more than all of the enemies of France and England put together because John Knox knew how to pray aggressively. Too many of us kneel down and go to sleep on our knees or we read a few verses in the Bible. Next thing we know, our head's on top of the book. You ain't knocking out the enemy that way, folks. In the early days of American history, the generals who won the wars or won the battles were the generals who prayed militantly. One day there's a story of a, of a farmer. He approached the camp at Valley Forge. And he heard an earnest voice. And when he came near, he saw George Washington on his knees. And George Washington's cheeks were wet with tears, praying to God. And that farmer returned home and he told his wife, he said, George Washington will succeed. The Americans will win their independence. And his wife asked him, she said, what makes you think so, Isaac? The farmer replied, I heard him pray, Hannah out in the woods today, and the Lord will surely hear his prayer. He will, Hannah. Thee may rest assured he will. But why was that farmer so sure God would hear General George Washington? Well, I imagine because George was out there praying militantly. Great things depended on his prayer, and great things depend on our prayers. Before the Battle of Gettysburg, when the fate of the nation was hanging in the balance, President Abraham Lincoln was calm and assured, and his generals wanted to know why, and this is what he answered. He said, I spent last night in prayer before the Lord. He has given me the assurance that our cause will triumph and that the nation will be preserved. In our time, back in the 50s, General Eisenhower once said, prayer gives you the courage to make the decisions you must make in crisis and then the confidence to leave the results to a higher power. Prayer is not for the purpose of changing God's mind. He already wants us to win and to be victorious, overcoming children more than we want to. Prayer is for changing situations, circumstances, and people's hearts. Prayer is for overcoming and defeating the demons of hell assigned to hinder Christians. And I believe prayer to be the world's greatest untapped resource. Prayer is not something you merely think or talk about. Prayer is something you do. God's power made available to mankind a great resource. Yet for the most part, prayer is not properly understood. I wonder why. 
because there is a mystique, a secret that seems to have placed effective prayer beyond the reach of most believers. But the power resources of prayer are attainable. Prayer is a force to be used, a tool to be utilized, a mighty weapon to be deployed. And that becomes real clear as we read Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 10 and 11. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. That's what prayer will teach you to do, folks. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. One little known fact God desires to make plain is that it is possible to stand against the tricks of the devil. But in order to do that, you have to certainly, you have to learn the secrets of prayer. Second Corinthians 10 and 4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God and for pulling down strongholds. Our weapons are not physical or mental. They are spiritual. And one of the best of our weapons is prayer. Now, prayer in action. On more than one occasion, Jesus' disciples witnessed a demonstration of prayer power. Look at Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. And when they, that's the disciples, had prayed, the place was shaken wherein they were gathered together and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spake the word of God with boldness. So here are the conditions. The believers assembled together and prayed. And the results were the place was shaken. They were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And then they spoke the word of God, not with backwardness, no fear, but with great boldness. First they prayed, then the power came. And if we can get God's people to reach out to God through prayer, we will discover resources of strength, blessing, anointing, goodness, and mercies that we never dreamed about. And if we can convince the world that it's prayer time in our land, the result will be anointing a power that has never been known. There are battles that can be won only when we pray. Victories, even over demonic forces, can be ours through prayer. Prayer, when used as it was designed and intended, is a tremendous force a terrible weapon against the enemy. And I'm talking a prayer that can bring about a world-changing influence. And when it's truly understood and faithfully used, prayer is the greatest source of untapped energy the world has ever known. And to bring about that prayer requires a change in our thinking and in our praying habits. And such prayer among the people of God can change the church of Jesus Christ in America and all around the world. And it don't make any difference if you're in the United States, or the, uh, the Philippines, or Japan, or South America, wherever you are, wherever you live. And I can assure you that by your prayers, you can receive and set into motion the power of God. And only through prayer is this possible. How many of you know that united prayer produces united results? And Cornelius learned that when he prayed. Cornelius was a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, it says in Acts chapter 10 and verse 2. Praying together as a family multiplies 
your prayer power. God tells us that one can chase a thousand and two can put ten thousand to flight in Deuteronomy 32 and 30. And as Cornelius learned, when you unite your home in prayer, you become like an army ready for battle. Prayer can change a person, but it can also change entire families. And when Cornelius and his family prayed unitedly, God performed miracles. He sent for Peter, who was a hundred miles away in the city of Joppa. Peter came and preached to Cornelius, resulting in that man's entire family receiving the filling of the Holy Spirit. And none of those things happened uh, haphazardly. They came about through prayer. And just as prayer changed Cornelius' life and the lives of his family, prayer can change your life and the lives of those around you. And by learning the secrets of prayer, as Cornelius did, you could also be remembered as a person who changed this world and the world to come. Folks, prayer is powerful. It's that powerful to do. Change the world around you. And you can help others by your prayers. The Apostle Paul spoke of this dimension of prayer in 2 Corinthians 1 and 11. You also, helping together on our behalf by your supplication, that for the gift bestowed upon us by means of many, thanks may be given by many persons on your behalf. You see, you can become a prayer partner. You can join with others and become a means of helping together in prayer. Cornelius helped his family through prayer. You can do the same. You can bless others. You can help missionaries. You can help your elders and the community and government. All of this and much, much more can be accomplished through your unselfish praying. You can literally release prisoners by praying. When Herod imprisoned Peter, Acts chapter 12 and 5, but prayer was made earnestly of the church unto God for him. God responded by sending an angel to release Peter. That's the kind of power that's still available to God's people through their prayers. That's the same power that you and your prayer group can have. Pray militantly. Pray aggressively. Say this, God I come against whatever it is, communism, pornography, abortion, or whatever it is, confuse wicked leaders to where they don't know what to do. World leaders, let them be confused, Lord. Let them know there's a God in heaven that they don't have him. And pray against the evil in our land. I'm going to tell you a story about a young minister's militancy against in Ohio, uh, where a bunch of abortion clinics went bankrupt. So much damage was done to these abortion clinics that they sued this minister for $11.5 million. And then they saw that this preacher was happy about the suit as he went about gathering lawyers to fight him. This was Rod Parsley. So they said, well, just forget it. We decided not to sue you. His church prayed militantly. And when they went out on the street corners, they prayed with strength and vigor and power and will. They went out in the whole armor of God. Prayer is one of our main weapons in this spiritual battles. But unless we pray militantly, our prayers are not effective. 
Prayer also allows us to learn God's strategy in every situation. Get along with the Lord and pray militantly. You're going to receive inspiration and creative ideas from the Holy Spirit, which is going to bring victory in your prayers. There's too many wrong prayers out there. We've got too many soft prayers, too many apologetic prayers. The breadth, the extent of our praying is as large, folks, as our asking. God expects us to reach out to the farthest horizons that we can imagine and to use all the strength and all the power that he has made available to us. All of it in Jesus' name. And so you can see prayer is not just a mere uh, reciting of words. Prayer is a relationship with God and with Jesus, his son. Prayer is the speaking of loving words, a love lyric to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And prayer is a personal connection with God. Prayer is alive. Prayer is inspiring. Prayer is powerful, energizing, dynamic. And prayer revitalizes the one who prays. But prayer is not just spiritual recreation. Prayer is doing battle with the invisible forces of darkness. Get aggressive. Get mad at that devil. Stop making apologies to God. If you're consistently going to apologize to God, you're going to have weak prayers. They ain't never going to win victories. God wants you to pray with forth, much force. And you don't have to, listen, you can kneel down. That's recommended, but you can dance. You can, you can stand up and pray. You can swing your arm when you pray. You can yell when you pray and that'll keep you awake. But above all, you must pray against the devil. Pray against sin. Pray against wickedness in high places. We are going to have to initiate aggressive praying, powerful praying. Jesus prayed with mighty strength. Elijah prayed with strength. James chapter 5, 17 and 18. Elijah was a man of like passions with us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. And Elijah was one little old preacher with a nature like ours, the Apostle James said. But he beat 750 false prophets, and he called fire down from heaven. That ain't no pipsqueak prayer there. He was in a life and death situation. And without victory, he was going to be a dead man. But it wasn't Elijah who died, was it? 450 false prophets died, and Elijah did the sword work himself. First Kings 18 and 19 tells us that. Elijah wound himself up militantly and said, Rain, don't come to this part of the world for the next three and a half years because I'm in charge. How would you like to be able to do that yourself? It didn't rain for a period of time Elijah had prayed. And I'll bet you could hear him for a mile when he prayed. He wasn't a little old sweet tender thing that you could not hear above a whisper. The people who say, I can't pray out loud, they'll yell at their kids at the top of their voices, almost breaking their eardrum. Why can't they pray out loud? The devil's hindering them. He doesn't want them to pray loudly, so he drops thoughts of fear or pride into their mind. God wants his children to know 
that it's time to get aggressive for him. You must get aggressive in your prayer life to have victory everywhere else. When you start meeting your prayers, God will start answering. Let's pray this. Lord, teach us to be a people that gets away from the defensive and on the offensive forever. I hate being defensive, trying to protect myself. I hate that. I would far rather like to take the initiative all the time, especially against the devil, and keep him on the run all the time. Beat him down. Get him down and kick him. And you can be God's champion warrior if you want to be. And this is the time to say, in the name of the Lord, my attitude toward prayer is that I am going to pray militantly, just like Moses did, just like Elijah did, and just like Jesus did. And Lord, let my prayers be powerful, prayers that change things. And God help me to pray aggressively. Folks, that's a good winning position to take. Change your prayer style, and you can pray militantly before the Lord. Prayer is invincible. It can't be subdued. No one can hinder or prevent the operation of prayer power. Rulers of great nations have had their laws and decrees defied and altered by prayer. The evil leaders of Babylonia influenced King Darius to defy the power of prayer by casting Daniel into the lion's den. Daniel was unscathed. He was living proof of the invincible power of prayer. Wicked Haman learned too late the invincible power of prayer. His clever manipulations served only to hang him on his own gallows and the one he built for his enemies. It has always been so, folks. Prayer can destroy enemy powers and evil forces. Prayer can build the kingdom of God. And that's always been God's intent. Prayer operates in the lives of those who have provided God with clean, righteous vessels in which his Holy Spirit dwells, in which egotism and self-sufficiency have been done away with. And it's in such lives in which material things have faded and the spiritual life is in proper focus that God chooses to display his unlimited power. Evil, self-aggrandizing forces rule the world we live in. Political and economic forces. Power-hungry forces that are humanly irresistible, immovable, indomitable, insurmountable, impregnable, unconquerable, and unyielding. Yet all of these forces are but paper tigers in the face of anointed prayer. Before World War II, France believed in this Maginot line, that it was invincible. Germany proved it wrong by simply going around the ends. <clears throat> Germany believed this blitzkrieg manner of warfare was invincible. Yet it was to learn that its best would succumb to a superior force. Yet, 
when you and I discover the secrets of and appropriate the inestimably superior powers of prayer, the truly invincible whole armor of God, the defensive and offensive glories of prayer, we will move into prayer against the enemies of God, the enemies of righteousness, with an assurance, with a joyful abandon, and with an effectiveness we have never known. And when we're faced with such divine power, all earthly powers are subject to defeat. All earthly powers, whether political, economic, or military, they are subject to the power of prayer. Everything is subject to the power of prayer. Prayer has no equal. The power of prayer doesn't change. It stands when all other powers fall. World systems change. Ideologies change. Balances of world power change. Balances of economics change. But the power of prayer that is available to us, the power that streams from the Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, will never fail. It can't be defeated. And my friend, the secrets of prayer can be yours. And when you discover them, they will fill you with God's living energy. And you will indeed be able to mount up with wings like eagles and not faint, as it says in Isaiah 40. And so we need to develop a militant voice. A militant voice speaks and sings aggressively. There's never been a victorious army that didn't have a song. And when an army wins, the soldiers sing as loudly as they can. Only soldiers going home in defeat have no song. And some churches and some kinds of Christians have been criticized because of their energetic singing. However, if anything, we're just getting tuned up, folks. In other words, you ain't seen nothing yet. And you can tell the devil we said so. Folks, I like aggressive singing. You don't have to wait until the sermon starts in order to come against the devil. You come against him in the songs. Tell him what champions we are. Sing of the glory of God. Sing of his majesty. Sing of the victories that are flowing in our hearts. Hallelujah to the Lamb. And thank God for a new song. We will sing new songs that bring joy. God wants us to sing with mighty aggressiveness, with power, with authority in Jesus' name. Folks, I like militant singing. The word directs us to sing a new song, and I believe those new songs are to be sung militantly. Psalms 33, 3 and 4 say, Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. For the word of the Lord is right and all his work is done in faithfulness. Glory to God. Psalms 96, 1 and 2. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord. Bless his name. Show forth his salvation from day to day. Glory to God. Psalm 98, 1. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. For he hath done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm hath wrought salvation for him. Psalms 149 and 1. Praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song. And his praise in the assembly 
of the saints. All of these admonitions came from psalmists and King David. However, singing a new song is also talked about in the very last book of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 5, 9, and 10. Listen to this. And they sing a new song, saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and didst purchase unto God with thy blood men of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and made them to be unto our God a kingdom and priests, and they reigned upon the earth. And so we see that even in heaven, there's going to be the singing of new songs. And I don't believe those new songs were sung meekly or in a weak voice back in David's day. And I don't think they're going to be sung that away in heaven. Um, singing in the Bible was militant. Nehemiah 12, 27 through 43 tells us that. The tribe of Judah, they went out first in battle. They praised the Lord and sang. And the singers sang loudly when Nehemiah dedicated the wall of Jerusalem so that the joy of Jerusalem was a herd afar off. Folks, militant singing pleases the angels. The devil don't enjoy it. I'd rather, I'd much rather please the angels and please the Holy Spirit. And we need to let that devil know that we mean what we sing. Let there be the ring of a king in our hearts when we sing. He's alive. He's alive, glory to God. He's alive. God wants the congregation to sing militantly as well as the leaders. And it's easy to come into church and be comfortable that when you walk out, all you want is a good dinner. And if somebody said, how was the service? And there was no militancy present. You could say, oh, it was okay. It was nice. But your mind is on lunch or dinner. And if you sing militantly, you'll get more out of the service and forget about your stomach. Folks, we're in warfare. And we're going to be in some heavy battles. And the church is tired of being pushed around by the devil. More Christians should begin to compose new courses to ask God for those new songs. Give the songs the Lord inspires to the song leader, the worship leader, or the pastor. And tell them, come on, let's get with it. This is the way I feel about God. Get the people moving stronger and more militantly. Speak militantly. Not only should we sing militantly, but we should be speaking militantly. That's going to make enemies. I need to warn you, speak clearly and forcefully. And other people might tell you, say, you want to fight, don't you? Yep, I sure do. I want to fight the devil. And I want to fight evil. And I want to fight wrongdoing. And I don't think the church today as a whole has a militant speech pattern. And I don't believe that when many of us speak, people can tell which side we're on. The Bible says that Jesus didn't speak as the Pharisees but that he spoke with authority as a commander has to speak. The Pharisees, they prided themselves on their reasoned speech, meaning 
Perhaps the scripture means this, and perhaps it means that. And they took great pride in being able to comment on the law and the prophets and interpret the books of the Old Testament. They debated endlessly, but they never authoritatively spoke out the word in a spiritual sense. On the other hand, they were very rigid in holding to the works or the actions that came out of their interpretation, whitewashing the outside while not observing the laws according to the Spirit. There was something about the voice of Jesus that was different from that of everybody else. And God wants us to speak with the authority that comes from knowing the Word. Some of you Christians ought to get in front of a mirror, look at and listen to themselves to see what other people are seeing when they're talking. God wants people today who will talk out of their spirits, talk out of their total being. And wherever you are, learn to speak with divine strength. Let the world know that you're one of the mighty children of God. There are people today who will say, you want to be careful of this, brother. He uses strong language. That ought to be talked about you. And you ought to say, yeah, that's right. I use the same kind of language that the Apostle Paul used. You know, you can look through the dictionary for strong words and take that word can't out of your vocabulary. I say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in Philippians 4 and 13. Be a God pleaser. Learn to speak with power and with vigor. And we have to speak the truth with authority. And this is a time for speaking strong. This is a time to let the world know what we believe about certain things. And there's only one attitude you need to get into. And that is what the Lord told me years ago. Other people's heads are not the place for my happiness. In other words, people's opinions of me are not what should be influencing my actions in my life. And if you go around trying to please people, oh my goodness, the problems you're going to have, leave them all alone. Please God only. Say what he wants you to say. Be what he wants you to be. If you're going to be a man pleaser, you're never going to be a God pleaser. And this is the time to speak frankly and aggressively against sin. We have developed into a society today in which sin is not sin. Sin is my problem, my way of life, my choice, and on and on with terms that cover up right and wrong. Jesus wants us to know that we have finally gotten into an army, that we have finally put on the whole armor of God, And that finally the church is going to speak as Jesus spoke so the world will know where we stand. The world don't know where a lot of Christians stand today, but I want them to know where I stand. The Israelites who marched around the walls of Jericho on that seventh day certainly didn't speak in a soft voice. If they had, the battle would have been lost. And if we speak softer today, we're going to lose some battles. There are times in this life when you not only have to let the devil know how you feel about something, you have to let people know how you feel also. And you need to speak this way in every area of your life. And don't speak weakly and say silly things. Speak with strength. The creator whose epic story flows through the pages of scripture has begun to dissolve the strongholds 
of evil. And this new drama is being played out every hour around the globe, accompanied sometimes by mind-bending miracles. God has apparently decreed that plain folks like you and me are now a central part of an accelerated plan for a total transformation of the world. And that plan is centered around small clusters of loosely networked but highly committed Christian people who have been empowered to do extraordinary things. And I'm going to start by describing one such event. Listen to this. At 6 o'clock on an April evening in 2001, five-year-old R. John Jonke Doss died in New Delhi, India from an accidental electrocution. His parents took him to a medical clinic where they worked on his body for two hours without success. The doctor charged him 5,000 rupees, or about $110, and told him to call a mortician. Instead, they called Roderick at the nearby deliverance church. He then called upon Savitri, one of the staff members. And Savitri brought two other Christians to R. John's home. And the five of them began praying over the dead body at 10 o'clock p.m. And they prayed their hearts out for six hours. And then at 4 a.m. the next morning, R. John snapped back to life. No brain damage, no problem. Today, he's a normal eight-year-old. And Savitri is a 60-year-old widow, an untouchable, they call her, from the lowly Dom caste. She spent her life as a street sweeper, which made her in the caste system part of the lowest of the low. The broom was her livelihood. But she's a fine, humble lady, a former Hindu turned to Christ. And as we were parting, I asked Savitri through an interpreter, how many resurrections have you been involved with in the six years that you've been doing ministry? She answered quietly, 16. You're in a new world, folks. How long will it be before you start working some miracles yourself? A distinguished Indian evangelist named Saji Chalapa was on a mission trip to a village north of Madras. When in the middle of the night, he suddenly sensed God speaking to him, leave this house quickly and run away. Well, that ain't exactly a convenient thing to do, but Chalapa was used to accepting even strange instructions from the Lord without discussion. So he quickly dressed and ran into the darkness. After a while, he was in the open country. And then, as he passed beneath a large tree, he felt God tell him, Stay here and start to preach. Now, this was puzzling. There ain't nobody around him. Why did God want him to preach to an empty tree in the middle of the field in the middle of the night? But he stopped under the tree and began to preach the gospel. Finally, he reached the point in which he called on his unseen listeners to give their lives to Jesus. And he was surprised to hear a voice from the top of the tree and see a man climb down crying and he tearfully gave his life to Jesus. And when asked what he was doing out there at night in the middle of nowhere, the man said, I'm going to hang myself. Glory to God. God is so good. 
For 21, here's another story. For 21 years, Mrs. Chang had laid in her bed at her home in China, unable to move her arms and legs. And finally, the pain got to be too much. And she asked her eldest son to take her to the hospital 40 miles away. The doctors there discovered that some of her organs were almost dead. So they advised the son, take her home so she can die with your family. But before she left, a Christian nurse came by her bed and slipped her a copy of the Gospel of Mark and told her, read this when you get home, she whispered. When Mrs. Chang got home, about the first thing she did was to ask her son to read something from the booklet. Opening it to page one, he began, This is the good news of Jesus Christ. And before he could read any further, Mrs. Chang's bones started to move. Within moments, she sat up completely healed. She promptly gave her life to the Lord. And the very next day, on her way to the village well to draw water, she was asked by everyone, Say, aren't you Mrs. Chang? What doctor healed you? We want to use him too. And Mrs. Chang invited all the women to her simple home. And when a large group had assembled, she stood up and began speaking. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. In only four weeks, all 600 people in the village decided to follow Jesus. When the report got around, a police force arrived to stamp out this new sect. They beat the villagers, they shot their animals, they burned their crops and left, thinking that would be the last they'd ever hear about Jesus Christ. But they were wrong. The 600 stood steadfast, and within four years, 70,000 had turned to Christ throughout that whole region. And the star of this story was the faithful and obedient nurse. She was a nobody responding to the love in her heart, reaching out, despite the risk, to an unimportant lady. May her obedience be sung and celebrated by millions. Glory to God. And I think of the missionary in Guatemala who simply read all of Isaiah 53 over and over to a circle of Indians silently mourning the death of a boy until he came back to life. You know, the real saints understand God's highest desires. And they're willing to fight tooth and nail with fiery passion to make sure that will is accomplished. God wants you to take joint responsibility for what happens in this world. He didn't want you to just mumble a polite prayer, shrug your shoulders and say, well, it's out of my hands now. Remember Jesus' words in heaven to Samuel Cho as his father prayed in desperation over the boy's corpse. Jesus said, I can't keep you here, boy, because your father won't let you go. Delight yourself in the Lord and learn to enjoy life. Find your joy in him as he does in you. 
And that means you must learn to enjoy your quiet time with the Lord every day. And you hit trouble when you don't eagerly want to be with him. So center on him and use your spirit and not just your mind. Study the Bible. You can't become a mature Christian disciple unless your mind is transformed. And much of that transformation is going to come as you study the Word of God. Read, mark, meditate on the Word of God, and then act on it. You aren't just trying to learn the Bible, but to know God through the Bible and become like Him. Well, folks, I'm out of time. God bless you. And we'll see you next time, God willing. For information, materials, and to contribute, go to unleavenedbreadministries.org. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels, Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama, 36123. My thirsting soul, pure as water, make me whole. Let your streams of mercy flow, oh Jesus. I trust in you. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus. Jesus, I trust in